Good morning, beautiful Nava. It's so great to be with you today. I want to just tell you that I live in a, a town called Castle Rock, Colorado. And in Castle Rock, I have a missional community, friends that I do church and life with there. And uh, they are praying for Nava. They're praying for this time right now. And so I bring you greetings from Castle Rock table. And uh, when I'm finished today, uh, I'll be jumping on a flight and headed to Nashville, Tennessee uh, to join up with our Nashville table uh, missional uh, home church group leaders there, and uh, and they are praying as well for Nava and Kansas City, and uh, I bring greetings to you this morning from them as well, and uh, and then after Nashville, I fly to Scotland, and I'll be in three cities: Aberdeen, I'll be in Dungee, Dundee, Dundee, and then Edinburgh, and I'll be speaking to leaders there that are wanting to create missional intention and uh, around their tables. And uh, so would you pray for me as I go on this next uh, leg of adventure? And just remember me, I would really be grateful for that. Um, It's exciting to be with you today. I love Nava Church. I love the leadership of this church. I'm so grateful and thankful for every single person that calls Nava their home. I believe you're in the right place at the right time. And uh, I'm really excited about getting able to share with you this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles with you or you are like me, you like to use your Bible on your phone, I want to encourage you to would you grab it right now because we are going to do some Bible gymnastics today because I really just want to drape everything I want to share with you today in God's word. And I want you to to be ready to go with me into the word today. And so this morning, uh, I am here, obviously, because as Adam shared with you, I'm really, really passionate about mission. And uh, I'm passionate about awakening people to their missional contribution. If you ask me, Ken, what's your contribution? For those that weren't at the retreat in April, and I want to encourage you, go listen to those messages, not because I'm a great speaker, but just because it'll give you some context for why I'm here and what I'm trying to do. And every month when I've come in, I've been here since Monday uh, and have just had wonderful meetings, uh, coffee shop, coffee dates and conversations and prayer times, and I've run a couple of workshops this week here at El Torreon, Um, was out with the Missional Home Church leaders yesterday, and we had a great time together. Um, It's been wonderful. But if you ask me, Ken, what what is your contribution? What has God put in you? Um, I would tell you that I am a dream stewarder. I love nothing more than listening to people tell me what their dream is. And uh, I believe that, that God puts dreams in all of our hearts because um, those dreams that are given by the Father have the power to bring transformation and make all things new. Um, I believe that the way that the kingdom of God is released in the earth is when the people of God take responsibility and take ownership of the dream that's in them and actually put it in the soil. And what grows up makes heaven look more like, or makes earth look more like heaven. And and so I'm committing my life uh, every day I wake up. You know, mission is not what you do. Mission is who you are. 
And that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important that we spend the time with Father, asking him, Father, what have, you, what have you put in me that I can bring? And one of the beautiful things about knowing and finding words and articulating with language what your contribution is in this world is that then you're able to almost prophetically begin to claim your, your steps for the rest of your life. And what ends up happening is things start happening. It's, it's not something that you have to go, I do uh, on you know, the third Tuesdays. It's like, no, every day, this is who I am. This is what I bring. And one of the things about Nava is that here at Nava, and if you're a guest here the first time, well, welcome home to Nava. Um, here at Nava, we, we, as you've heard repeatedly, we describe ourselves as a prayerful family on mission. I have actually love that. I don't know how many times all around the world that I go, I, I, I say to churches, I say, here's a really great description for what church is. It's a prayerful family on mission. I use, I use Nava everywhere I go to talk to people and tell them that because I think that's, there's nothing, there's no better description for what God has asked us to be and become and practice with our lives than being a prayerful family on mission. So every family, though, has uh, what I call a, a family ethic. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but what is your family ethic? Like, you know, you can be around families and uh, there's just a way that they are. There's a there's a way that they show up. There's a certain value system that they are living out Sometimes it's not even an intentional thing. It's just who they are. And man, if we got a little more intentional about the ethics of how we live and how we show up and what comes out of us, it, it might even be powerfully transformative uh, than it already is for some. But I want to just alert us to the fact that if we're going to say that we are a prayerful family on mission, then we need to take a few minutes and talk about the the realities of the ethic that we as the people of God have formed into our lives as family. And so today, because I've just got a little bit of time, I'm just gonna talk about one ethic that I think is absolutely mission critical for us being a prayerful family on mission. And that ethic is generosity. You see, the family of God is a generous family. It's, it's wired into us to be generous. How'd that land? <laughs> see, the problem is, is that we kind of, um, <laughs> if we're really honest, um, we struggle a little bit with what I call a scarcity mindset. Um, we have a tendency, a tendency to let that mentality inform how we, how we show up and what we do. So how do you change our mindset from scarcity to abundance, right? Well, I think, first of all, it's the way that we go about transforming ourselves and changing our lives is that we change by changing our actions, we are what we do, right? And so there's a sense in which what we do does something 
to us. Every time you choose to do it the Jesus way, every time your eyes meet the, the eyes of the servant-hearted king and you choose his ways over your ways, something is done to change you. So again, what we do does something to us. So this morning, our first Bible drill as we get going here, is I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter four, and we're gonna begin reading in verse 32. Acts chapter four, begin reading in verse 32, because there's a, a couple of truths that I wanna pull out of this to set the tone for this family ethic that I, that I believe is necessary to be the missional people of God in the city, and that is generosity. Before I read verse 32, I wanna read for you verse 31, because there's a little nugget here that's just worth looking at, really. After they prayed, verse 31, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Okay, so here's what I want you to know, that as we go into this today, man, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that can bring the transformation and change us from scarcity to beginning to see in abundance. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit that makes us bold and courageous to do what we, um, what's been difficult to do. Let's just leave it at that, all right? So then it goes on from there into verse 32, the believers. All the believers were one in heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Holy camoli, bat boys and bat girls. Did you just hear that? Like there was nobody who needed anything among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money for the sale and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to everyone who had need. And then I love Joseph here, verse, I'll just, as bonus scripture, right? Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so now you can be thinking, oh my gosh, this is gonna be one of those giving messages where he's just gonna talk about how we need to give our money. And it's not, so relax. <laughs> it's about the family ethic of being generous. See, how can, how can mission be activated in our lives if we're holding back? If we're measuring Things that, that we find, I, 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 I don't have enough. I, I don't know, I, I don't want to be spent. 
You don't, you don't understand, Ken. I, I'm exhausted. I mean, and life has hit me right in the jaw. And right now, I'm just, I'm just barely making it. And you're telling me I need to be more generous? I'm telling you that you need the fullness of God's Spirit to come on you. And that you need the Spirit of God to heal you so that you can walk in abundance and not in the posture of scarcity. That's what I'm trying to say. And so the two truths that you can pull today is from, from what I've read is this. Number one, we cannot separate our evangelistic efforts from our economic lifestyles. They go together. The second truth is we cannot separate our verbal proclamation of the gospel from our practical witness. And that's what I love about this story is it's, it's just the practical doing life and living the gospel every day together that was transformative. And because they were so generous that other people groups around them were shaken to their core by the way that they just kept giving and giving and giving. And when they gave, there was so much abundance to keep giving. It wasn't like the storehouse was running empty. Somebody would just go sell something. It was amazing. It was, it was not wrong, again, I want to say, to own something. And it was not compulsory to sell something. It wasn't like, you, know, you got to sell everything and you, you can't be wealthy. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19, here we go, another one. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. I love it that he specifies in this present world because we're all rich. Every one of us, regardless of what's in your pocketbook, all of us are rich. We're going to get to that in a minute. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, not something, but everything, what, for our enjoyment <laughs> no, wait, hang on just a minute. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Because like we think, you know, well, if I give it all away, I won't have anything for me or to do the things I like doing. And he's like, no, 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 no. He gives everything for your enjoyment. Verse 18, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Verse 19, in the way that they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that, that's new creation, that's, that's, that's what we're creating, this new coming age where all the things that were wrong are made right, where um, reconciliation flows like a river in the streets, where healing is found in the leaves and the, and the fruit bears such fruit that people get a revelation of the living God and it's like Eden on, on earth again. And so he says, there's coming a coming age where we can store up, store up treasures. 
that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, in the, in the early church and in a church that's prayerfully a family on mission, disciples have a renewed and redeemed vision of stewardship. So generosity, the actual, the actual word generosity, it, it, and, it, and its, its meaning is a, is a sacrament. So you know what a sacrament is, right? So when we, every time we receive Holy Communion, it, it, we're receiving the sacraments of Jesus. So generosity, when you practice generosity, you are practicing sacramental living, a sacrament. A sacrament is a practice that invites us to participate in pressing and passing along grace. That the grace that we've received. That's what a sacrament. Generosity is a sacrament because you have received grace in your life. And every time you are generous to somebody else, you are passing the sacrament of generosity to somebody else. When extraordinary gifts of grace are given, they cannot be experienced unless they are received. One of the things that I always like to ask people, um, and I've asked this to people this week around Nava, as I said, which comes first, giving or receiving? And it's almost like the first, the first reaction is everybody's like, this is, a, this is a trick question, is it? I'm like, no, 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 it's not really. Um, I know that you want to say giving, but it's not. The right answer is receiving. Listen, I don't have anything to give you unless I've received it first, Right? And, and so when we understand that it's because, because we have such a generous host, we have such a God that is so generous that we have received so much that it's not our possession, but our action as a sacrament, as living as under a sacrament of giving that we have to give that grace away. And see, but the world teaches you that you can't really receive anything or even ask for anything unless you first, you know, ponied up your share, right? And unless you give, don't, you know, don't ask for me anything for me. Well, that's the way the world gives, but that's not the way the cross of Jesus gives. He says, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. So it's a totally different paradigm, totally different economic system. For by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Again, another passage. Write it down. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace, now we're talking about that sacrament again. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not as a result of your works, let me pause there for a minute. Mission is not what you do. It's who you are. It's not about keeping track of, well, I did that today and I did that today. It's just, it naturally, it's, it's, it's just a natural attitude, a posture, a way of being that just, 
I don't, I can't even keep track of it because I don't even, I'm not even aware that I'm just generous. It's flowing because, because it's the grace. I'm so in love with Jesus. I'm so aware of my own brokenness and his grace in my life that I can't help but want to love because I was loved. I love because he first loved. Oh my goodness. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. So if there is an idea that I wanted to try to land in the room today, it would be this one. You and I are invited to see ourselves as responders of God's grace. You see, being generous in the way that Jesus is generous creates a different kind of security and a whole different kind of economic system. It is, it is security that is based on a community that truly loves each other and shares freely with each other and the world around them. When you, when you understand that you're hosted by someone. So this week, I have been lavishly hosted by Ryan and Risa and, and Berkeley. And we just have, I've just had such a great time in their home. But listen, when you're hosted by someone who is generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. I mean, I'm telling you, there wasn't, I, I didn't need anything while I was in their home. And they were constantly, do you want something to drink? You, need, you want something to eat? Hey, um, they even took me out last night to dinner and we had such a wonderful time. But that's what, that's what, that's what good hosting is, right? Hospitality. So when you're hosted by someone who is generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. I'm telling you, every one of my needs have been met this week. Everyone. When that's the case, you can just enjoy yourself, have fun, focus on people around you. That's what I got to do. See, what I'm slowly trying to help you see is this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love towards you. He's the host, and we humans are the guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going and spread his goodness. And this is the picture that I want you to get. But however, it's not the way we experience this world, is it? Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle everywhere we look. So Jesus would say things like this. Remember the Sermon on the Mountain? Matthew 6, 26 through 34, if you're writing down our Bible road today. I'm going to even paraphrase that one for you. It's got a lot of great stuff in there. You should read that one. Matthew 6, 26 to 34. But this is what, this is my kind of paraphrasing it, right? Look, look up, look at those birds. They don't store up food for themselves, 
yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful and abundant. And they don't stress out. They don't worry about their existence. And you all should live that way also. Very hippie-like, I know. But Jesus was kind of hippie-like, you know? People just kind of like... Jesus' whole point, though, is this. If you make your own personal security the main focus of your life, then what you'll find is this. You'll actually ruin your life. You'll either destroy it with anxiety. And let's just be honest, what does scarcity do? It makes you worry. It stresses you out. You're making judgment calls that are yours, not God's. And you're living with the consequences of all of that. And if, if it doesn't kill you through anxiety, the other thing that you'll do is you'll, you'll collect it and then give it to somebody else when you die and they'll waste it. Just kidding. Um, so <clears throat> the whole point is this. If you're living the Sermon on the Mount life, right? That, that, that passage that, you know, Jesus is like wrecking everybody. Like, talk about crazy, man. He's like painting a picture of a whole other world that we have just not even, maybe we're, we might have scratched it and sniffed it, but we haven't like lived it. Um, and so this Sermon on the Mount thing that Jesus is saying, if you're living that kind of life, what you're doing is you're investing in new creation. That is how, if you want to know what, it, what, do they, what do they mean when they say new creation? What do they mean by investing in new creation? Go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. Because we are future people, I said this at the retreat. I said, you know, as followers of Jesus, every one of us who love Jesus, we are future people. So we got to get that clear because otherwise we'll live We'll, we'll like live in the present and we'll make decisions about what we do and how we do it and what we do with our resources based on now instead of future. Because I know there is eternal life and there's a place, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm making decisions today because I'm a future person. Because I know that it is God's desire to make all things new and renew and heal and make the world what it was meant to be, I'm living in the future. I'm making decisions today. I don't throw my trash out the window when I drive down the road. I'm a steward of what God has put in me. The kingdom of God is about lovers who love and steward well what God's given you so that you can love what God loves. So part of being a, a, a prayerful family on mission is learning how to be stewards who are generous with what God has put in you. Because we're future people, you're living in the present as if you're living into the new creation, what's coming. And when you live in that way, you are creating realities that last beyond your lifetime 
You see, there's something about a way of living, which is the way of the kingdom, where there is a different type of currency, a different type of value. If I love my neighbor as myself, and if I choose to use some of my resources to help somebody who's going through a really hard time, then the love and the generosity, as well as the relational bond that's formed because of it, it becomes a relational investment. An investment that lasts into new creation. In the Sermon on the Mount, healthy, whole relationships is one of the greatest values of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. Generosity, what it does, family, is it creates a bond between people that apparently that creates a more enduring bond than a good meal or the stock market or anything the world can give. Generosity creates that kind of bond. Until we value the kingdom such that we begin to treat others according to Jesus' value set, until we embrace the ethic of generosity as a family, we will live with anxiety concerning our own stewardship. So Jesus apparently conceives of the universe that he's living in a place that should free us from anxiety. That's the way he lived and that's how he wants us to live. As, as we're free from anxiety, worry, all that stuff. And so Jesus's view on the world holds a claim that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Wait a minute, what? Scarcity is not caused by a lack of resources. The problem is our mindset. And this is our mindset, that God can't be trusted. Okay, that's the, that's the mic drop, but I'm not gonna drop the mic yet because I'm gonna talk about it for a minute. Our mindset is we don't trust God. Now you may say, Ken, you don't know me. What do you mean? You can't say that. But if you go down and you go down and you go down into the systemic roots of why we don't live as a family with an ethic of generosity, the way it's modeled by Jesus, and that's clearly articulated in scriptures how the early church lived in such a radical way of generosity, then I'm, I'm here to say it's because of trust. It really is. We get the thought, maybe God's holding out on us. Or maybe if it's not, you know, that in your face, it could be that maybe there's just not enough. Or maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we've deceived ourselves into that kind of mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to just take care of ourselves. So what does God do? with a creation that has everything it needs but is living as if they can't trust or depend on God to meet their need 
and they're living with a scarcity mindset and only taking care of themselves. What does he do? God chooses a people, a family, Abraham. And he promises to Abraham that he'll give them the abundance that he wants for everybody. God will provide what they need. All they need to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous God really is. That was, that was the agreement. That was the covenant between God and Abraham. However, <laughs> Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the God who gave it to them. God doesn't give up though. What does he do? It's surprising, but what he does is he gives us another gift. But this gift is different. What does he give? He gives us Jesus. The host himself comes down to join us at the party. Jesus lives with the conviction as a, as, an, as a model to all of us while he lived on this earth. He lives with this conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. Jesus called his followers to trust God's abundance. And we are hopelessly deceived by the lie that there's not enough. So where is the root of this scarcity mindset? Where does it, where does it come from? The biblical portrait of evil and, and this scarcity is evil. It is evil. You can find the full story of where evil was born in Genesis chapter three. I want to show you a few verses. Let's look at it. Verse, Genesis three, verse one. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The scene opens with a serpent subtly undermining God's generosity. It's Genesis 3, 4 and 5. You will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will then be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the serpent portrays God as holding out on humanity, withholding knowledge and good things. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good and for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was desirable for making wise, she took from it and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. You see, the, the biblical portrait of evil begins with an act of desire for what is not rightfully ours and taking it for ourselves. And that's what scarcity mentality does. Scarcity mentality causes us to live in such a way that we take what is not ours and we make things for ourselves and only ourselves. In the story of the Old Testament, God continually, continually combats scarcity. He, he combats it with his generosity towards us and his love towards humanity in not withholding anything, but even giving his only son. The story culminates 
in Jesus, God himself, come to earth to demonstrate abundant grace. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of generosity. It's a love that can turn death into life. It's a story that can turn scarcity back into abundance. Jesus' followers are now given the opportunity and the responsibility, you and I, to live a life of sharing with others and believing that there's enough. This, beloved, is the purest expression of our trust in God as our generous host. This is really important that you hear this today. It is possible to give without a deep understanding of grace. You can give without a deep understanding of grace. However, it is impossible to have a deep understanding of grace and not give. That is, that is a tricky thing right there, isn't it? Like, if you've asked Jesus into your life and you now fully, like, you get it. Like, this is not me. This is not my life. What I own is not my possession. I don't get to make decisions that protect and withhold because I've been saved by a, by a God, a great host who loves me and has not held anything back from me. And if that doesn't cause us to live radical generosity, something's, something's messing. Something's messing. There's, a, there's another great passage I want to draw you to. It's found in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. And now, brothers and sisters, now this is, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. So I'm not Paul, and this ain't Corinth, but listen to this from that perspective. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So Paul's basically, Paul's like bragging on the Macedonians to the church in Corinth. He's like, hey guys, I just want you to know about these guys over here, all right? Oh, by the way, they're, they're like seriously poor. Like, they ain't got anything. And yet, the grace of God caused them to like swell up with generosity. And we, and then he goes on to say, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I am here, Kansas City, Nava. I'm here for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they did this. They urgently pleaded. We talked to them. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege it was as if Paul was saying, we tried to tell them, guys, <laughs> it's too much. Like, no, please, please, they begged us. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing 
in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves. I love that. Part of being generous is giving yourself. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made, to bring also to completion the act of grace on your part. Now he's talking to the church at Corinth. But since you excel in everything, so now he's, he's bragging, he's saying to the church in Corinth, you guys, I mean, you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love. And we've kindled that in you. See that you also, though, excel in the grace of giving. So Paul's saying, he's talking about the family ethic. He's saying, man, when it comes to the kind of family you are, mm, you guys here in Corinth, you're full of faith. You're great. You, you, you speak and you teach and you, you proclaim really well. You love. You're kind. However, please, do not forget generosity. Verse 8. I'm not commanding you, Paul says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Ow. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, in 2 Corinthians 8, the passage is relating to Paul raising money to give to the poor in Jerusalem. That's what this is about, just to give you that backdrop. There was a famine that had hit Judea. And so Paul gets all the church plants, all the house churches, and he goes to them and says, hey guys, let's help the, non, uh, the non-Jewish people, let's be the non-Jewish people to raise money and gift it to the Jews in Jerusalem to take care of them as a testimony of our Lord. Paul says, I want to make known to you the gift of God that is given to the church at Macedonia. I'm telling you beyond their ability they gave of their own accord to put their money in the pot. And in fact, they were begging us and urging us to give. In other words, our, on, our concept of generous gift is what the word grace means in the New Testament. It's the same idea, but a different vocabulary as what Paul said in, when he talked to us about Jesus and his nature in Philippians chapter two, where Paul says he was in the very nature God, but didn't consider his equality with God something to be grabbed or to be taken or to be used of his own advantage. And this is where the family ethic starts to land. You see, he saw the abundance of an opportunity to be generous. And that is the family ethic, to see your abundance as an opportunity to be generous to others. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is a one-liner that only Paul could give. And Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty 
might become rich. Generosity is the only reasonable response to the gift that has been given to us in the life of Jesus. And if you're bringing your contribution, whatever that may be, and again, I'm not here to talk about dollars and cents. I'm talking about the everything that's in you. This is why we are committing this year and why I'm coming every month is to set and meet, to do workshops and to help you discover what has God put in you that is so beautiful, so uniquely you, that if you know it and you have this family ethic of generosity, nothing will stop you from giving it and giving it and giving it away. Yes, generosity should affect your, your pocketbook. It should, it should affect every area of stewardship in your life. But to be a family, a prayerful family, on mission, we've got to get the ethic of generosity right in us to move forward. It's our only, it's our only reasonable response to what Jesus has done. And <laughs> just holding my hands up, this is something I'm working on in my own life. Man, I am rooting this out of my life. I'm making decisions that are con contradictory to what makes sense just because I'm trying to make decisions to root out scarcity in my life and believe that he's an abundant God who can provide everything I need. And here's the problem is we're all, every one of us, we're all living, including me, with a disconnect with how we think about our, our faith. Because who doesn't struggle with giving? Giving your time, giving yourself to others, giving materially to meet financial needs of others. But the generous gift of Jesus shouldn't leave us asking, is there enough? The generous gift should be to know that Romans 8, if God wouldn't spare his own son, then why wouldn't he give you everything you need. And that reduces it down to a simple statement that there is enough. And so today I'm saying to you, you're enough. That seed of generosity, that contribution that every one of you have, it's enough. We have a tendency though to, to measure ourselves against others to compete, to like, you know, and we, and we say it in nice ways. We say like, oh, I just wish I could be more like, my, like Adam. I, and so until I get to be more like Adam, I just, I'll just work on me and, you know, I'll hold all that, I'll hold, I'll hold on and someday, someday I'll do it. I'll be more like Adam. That's so wrong. It's so wrong. It's scarcity. You don't lack anything to do what God has asked you to do. So being a follower of Jesus involves a lot of things, but one of them is trusting. That in the life of Jesus, I have been given the ultimate gift. And it includes that my own failures, my own sins have been accounted for in Jesus. By his death and his resurrection, that the death that I've introduced into the world, 
through my own selfishness and my own hoarding and whatever sins I've committed, it has been dealt with on the cross. And equally important to that story and to the gift is the resurrection and the dawn of a new creation that's waiting for you to help bring it to reality. There is the birth of the new creation where there is enough for me and for everybody. And the family ethic becomes one of abundant generosity to everyone. There's something here too where the world and the word that has gripped the world, that word scarcity, is invaded by the generous gift that begins to create an abundant Eden right here on earth, in our midst. The practice of generosity. Because God is a benefactor, we're all commissioned to be fruitful and to multiply. And so God invites us to see ourselves as responders. And so here's, here's your assignment. Wrapping up. Here's your assignment. Practice generosity. Okay? Practice it. How do I do that? Here's one. Practice generosity by extending mercy and forgiveness to one another. I bet you didn't see that coming, did you? Man, can I just say, getting your feelings hurt, getting offended, throwing a tantrum, stomping your feet because it didn't go your way, that's, that is not generous. And its effect on other people is not generous. And that, that should not be something that's a part of our family ethic. See, forgiving, listen, we're we're all gonna do something wrong. We're all gonna step on somebody's foot at some point. And we need to forgive. That is a generous act. Told you I was going to read some scriptures to you. Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. Family ethic. He's talking about family. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do, you, do even the pagans do that? And then he says, be perfect. <laughs> Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Maybe there's someone that you're thinking of right now that you need to forgive. Maybe there's something that was done at Nava that offended you. 
hurt your feelings. You feel you've been wronged. Beloved, that is not generous to hold on to. Okay, another practice. Obvious one here. Practice generosity with your money. Practice generosity with money. Think about how and where you shop and the impact it can have. Let alone just being willing to help by giving. James 1.17 says, James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Third practice. You getting these? Third practice. Practice generosity with your words. Practice generosity with your words. I know we're in Missouri. It's a show me state, right? So if you see it, say it. Give appreciation and speak kind words. Man, I'm watching Adam and others in here setting up all these chairs and Jake's back here getting the sound. Um, people are back here doing childcare. I mean, I was blown away by worship today. I don't know about you, but... Oh, Adam's up here lead, leading us. Not just, just leading us, but like we're kissing Jesus, man. I mean, it was gorgeous. I mean, we are of no shortage of things to use our words to express our gratitude. And when you... And, and, and again, scarcity, right? When we live in a world that is constantly jerking, pulling, and beating on us. Those people, you may think, well, they don't need me to tell them that we appreciate them. Jake doesn't need that. He doesn't need any appreciation. He's just a good guy. Hey, he's doing, he's using his gift to serve the king. Good for him. He doesn't need me to tell him. He should know that. Let me tell you what, man. (laughs) Let me tell you what. They need to hear it. If you think a thought, call them. Chase them down like a hound from heaven. Tackle them to the ground. And be like a sweet little puppy. And love the heck out of them. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. That's generosity. Use your words. Fourth practice. You ready for this one? Practice generosity with your time. Well, I ain't got time to be a a pastor of a home church. I'm watching my my home church pastor, and dude, I'm seeing, they're just like, good night, man. What they have to do to get the house cleaned up and get the kids ready for bed, and and then they got kids running all over the place. Who got time for that? I don't got time to offer my house 
offer my energy. Listen, man, I'm a good person right now because I am managing my emotional outpour. And so as long as I keep that in balance, I'm a good person. You do not want to see me if I'm hosting a house of church. <laughs> Full manifestation, man. You do not want that. <laughs> Listen, the hard stuff like time actually may be the most valuable commodity in the world is time. And maybe we're spending so much energy on taking care of ourselves because of our scarcity mentality. Maybe we're taking so much time there that we don't have any extra time to give it away so that we're not full of anxiety, but we're actually practicing generosity with our home, our time, our energy. And maybe the act of doing it and giving time to that very thing is how Jesus wants to make you into the, into the radical, generous, God-loving, world-changing, new creation mandate, devil-kicking person that he's trying to make you into. Because he is trying to make you into that. And his commitment to you, just like it was to the disciples when he said, come follow me, I will make you. I'll make you a mission. You'll be fishers of men. See, that's what, that's what God is trying to do in us if we recognize the, the family ethic. And our, we're just talking about one today. And it's a foundational one for mission. Generosity. And we've got, we've, we've got to get wrecked. God is a disruptive God. He wants to get up and mess up, your, mess up things because he wants to set you free. It's not because he likes to make it hard for you. He wants to set you free. The things you're putting, you're valuing might not be the things that he values. That's all I'm saying. It's worth a conversation with the Lord. It's worth a conversation. Practice generosity with your time. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through, 5, 10 through 15. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15. You'll be enriched in every way. Oh, come on, Lord. You're going to be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Oh, I didn't write it. Um, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every, not some, every occasion. And, though, and through... Us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks unto God. Good word. Good word. Okay, one more, last one. Practice generosity with your attention. Your attention. What does that mean? Commit to transformational projects. Commit to your contribution and the pain that you see in the world. See, all of us see things that we, we, it stops us dead in our tracks and we go, it should not be like that. That is wrong. That's not new creation. 
If we're future people and we're about the new creation, when God shows you something that you can't get loose from, there's a reason. It's because your contribution needs to align with the eradication of that thing. And you may say, I don't, there ain't enough. I, I'm, I don't think there's enough in the world to deal with that one. And I'm just saying, we have an abundant host. He is not withholding what we need to do what God has asked us to do. So commit to transformational projects. Give your attention to it. As you start to awaken yourself to your contribution, learn about it. Mine is poverty. Man, I am so overwhelmed by poverty in this world. And the deeper I go in trying to learn and study about it because I'm trying to give it my attention, I, I feel like Alice in, in Wonderland. I'm just falling deeper and deeper into a hole that I don't think has a bottom yet. It will overwhelm you, sure. The heart of God for his creation will overwhelm us. But our generosity remains the same because it's our ethic. 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, new creation, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I know I told you that was the last one, but do you want another one just for fun? Another practice? Are you having fun with these? Nobody said yes. <laughs> okay. Risa said one more. Okay. Last one. Practice generosity with your influence. Practice generosity with your influence. You know, I, I think sometimes, like, in our jobs, you know, we're, it could be because we're trying to make more money, we want to, you know, be seen, be known, like, oh yeah, that happened because of me. Keep me around. Give me another raise. And so we don't really necessarily always think about that other guy that's over here who needs to be recognized. What would it look like for us to be so generous with our attention to others that we actually help promote others rather than ourselves? What would that, what kind of ethic would that promote and be a witness? But like this, this week I've been meeting with several people and we're gonna keep working to create what we're calling a missional seed team at NAVA. And this will be a, a group that stewards all of the contributions that are emerging if you fill out that form so we can know. And we're gonna map across the city what God is raising up through NAVA that can be mobilized, that can be encouraged, that can be released to bring transformation and wholeness in a city so that we can be people of new creation. Practice generosity with your influence. Every one of you have influence because every one of you are a leader. Leadership is influence. Leadership begins with influencing you. 
Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him over for us, how will we not also with him freely gift us all things? Practice, practice, practice. Let's be a prayerful family on mission at Nava. That opening verse, you know, it says that, and it says about the, the new believers, you know, that they did all this, they lived generously, they shared, they prayed, they worshiped together. That's what we do, right? In all of our home churches around the city, that's what's happening. And it said because of their, the, the ethic of the way they live their lives, God added to their number daily. Man, I said this to the leaders at our home church pastors gathering yesterday. I said, yesterday it was June 10th, Saturday, June 10th. I said, Saturday, June 10th, 2024. When I come back, wouldn't it be incredible to see 365 new believers formed and living into the, to a family ethic of a prayerful family on mission. And that's not something you do, that's something God does because you're living your life and bringing your contribution forward. Could you imagine? See, that's, that's future people. That's putting your attention at where God wants to go with you, where God wants to go with this church. Right now, we're gonna need more boats. We're gonna be, we don't need a bigger boat, we need more boats. We need more home churches. We need more, more houses. We need more people willing to give themselves away for the, purposes of God, for the purposes of God because there's an ethic of generosity that has gripped our heart and radically convinced us that God's not holding out and I shouldn't either. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for today and for the family, the Nava family, for all the workers, for all the people that made today possible. Thank you, God. Would you reward them and richly bless them? But Lord, would you raise up an ethic of generosity in every one of us? Would we, would we wrestle? Would you, would you help us to wrestle with these practices of generosity? And even more that you bring up inside of us this week. Would you help us to run experiments in our own life to identify where we are stuck in a scarcity mentality that says, I don't trust that if I give, that there'll be enough for me. Father, I know that what you want to do with Nava in one year would completely blow every mind in this room. Help us, Father, to not fall asleep and just go through life. Awaken our hearts, awaken our imaginations to a new way 
of being the family of God in Kansas City. Holy Spirit, come and shake this room and make us bold and courageous. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.